A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello and welcome. I'm Tim Farron and this is the show where you get to hear from a Christian politician about how they live out their faith in the mucky business of politics. Well, you might well think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin. Well, you'd be right. But then again, so is everything else on planet Earth since the fall. And I think Christians should be praying for their brothers and sisters who are involved in politics in an informed way. Today, we're talking about Scottish independence. Should Scotland be given another referendum and should it break away from the rest of the UK? Should we care? Joining me to discuss this will be independence supporter David Linden, the SNP MP for Glasgow East. We take different views on this, but of course, we're both brothers in Christ. Before we speak to David, Cara Bentley has a roundup of some of the news this week. Well, seeing as we're looking at independence today, let's take a look at what's going on in Scotland. Churches are looking like they will be open at the earliest on the 5th of April, which is Easter Monday. Slightly frustrating if you had plans to open the doors at Easter weekend, but maybe there'll be a couple of days leeway on that if things start to look up. Scotland has, of course, done things at a similar pace to the rest of the UK, but has often lent to be on the more cautious side when it comes to COVID restrictions. And that will, of course, play a part in how people vote in the Scottish elections scheduled to be in May. Do people want the SNP to keep leading them through this crisis? But of course, there are two huge other factors at play. How much do people want independence right now? And how will the Alex Salmond and Nicola Sturgeon saga affect the result? The latest polls suggest the nation is split 50-50, the first time in 22 consecutive polls that independence has not been ahead. The current Scottish National Party leader and First Minister Sturgeon is fighting for her reputation and her government's against the former SNP leader and First Minister Salmond over how allegations of abuse were handled. Amidst the high drama, fewer people seem to think going it alone is a good idea. But our guest David Linden is in some ways quite far removed from all that and for him, this week will all be about the budget that is delivered in Westminster. Tim, can you explain how it works for you both as members of parties which respond to the budget? Well, we get to listen to Rishi Sunak make his set-piece speech to the Commons, setting out the government's plans for tax and spending for the coming financial year. And then over the next four days, there are a series of debates in the House of Commons on the budget. And people like David and I will get our chance to speak sometime during those four days. That means we've got time to prepare what we're going to say. Keir Starmer, the leader of the official opposition, has to make his response Right away, as soon as uh, Rishi Sunak has sat down, he will have had no official prior warning of what the Chancellor was going to say. That's pretty impressive. Uh, Of course, this year's budget comes against the backdrop of the huge financial costs that have accompanied COVID-19. No other Chancellor has had to deal with that kind of uh, weight at the same time uh, as running the economy. The taxpayer has spent over £300 billion so far on things like furlough and business grants to try to minimise financial hardship and protect jobs and businesses. And while spending has gone up, the amount of money collected in taxes, of course, has gone down because people are earning less money and paying fewer taxes. The government has funded this mostly by increased borrowing. Between April and December last year, they borrowed £271 billion, and that is four times more than normal. So we now have an overall national debt of £2.1 trillion. For a political response, you can watch back my speech and David's during the debate. But what I will say now 
is that Christians should care about the budget because it impacts on the lives of everyone in this country. And we want to care for our neighbours, whoever or wherever they are. In Jeremiah 29 verse 7, we read that we are to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. That is a very clear instruction to actively care about the country and the communities that we live in. So let's pray for the Chancellor that as he puts his budget into practice, he does so in ways that are wise and compassionate. In particular, we should pray that the plight of the increasing numbers facing poverty will be at the top of the Chancellor's considerations. Countries like the UK can live with high national debt for a few years, but families who are in debt are infinitely more vulnerable and face crippling hardship, anguish and strain. And that's the kind of debt that worries me the most. So let's pray that the Chancellor does right by them. And then let each of us think how we can support charities like Christians Against Poverty to do practical work to help those families. We should also pray that politicians don't panic because, well, every country in the world is in the same boat right now. And the cost of national borrowing is at an almost all time low because of very low interest rates. So this national debt isn't quite as catastrophic as it might seem. But Christians have an even better reason not to panic. God is in control. He is using these times for his purposes. We can have confidence in him. Grace has seen us safe this far and grace will see us home. Instead of panicking then, we should pray and act. Loving our neighbour as we see in the parable of the Good Samaritan should be practical and even sacrificial. So let's pray for budget decisions that are sensible and compassionate and let us take personal actions to help alleviate debt and poverty even if those actions might be costly to us. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, this week on the show, we're going to talk about whether Scotland would be better if it left the United Kingdom with someone who passionately believes in Scottish independence. It's my friend, the SNP MP, David Linden. He's a member of parliament for Glasgow East. And he's also the party's spokesperson on work and pensions. David, it's fantastic to see you. Good to be with you, Tim. Thanks so much for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be with you. It's impressive that you've already been out for a run. Uh, so, you know, the, the, for listeners to picture, well, we, we'll, we'll let your imagination do the work. But <laughs> it's um, amazing to have somebody uh, with us whose political journey started incredibly early. Tell me how you first got yourself involved in politics and when. I kind of fell into politics, if I'm being entirely honest. Um, so, yeah, it was the 2001 Westminster election. I was a grand total of 11 years old. I'm 30 years old now. So in my 20th year uh, campaigning uh, for, for the SNP. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, fundamentally, I just have a belief that Scotland's a nation and nations are best served when they govern themselves. And I'm, I'm sure we'll go into that a bit later on. But um, yeah, that's, that's how I wound up in the SNP. I will say that politics is a bit like quicksand. Uh, the more you fight it, the more you get sucked into it. Um, and at no point when I was growing up did I have any intention of becoming a member of parliament. I mean, I, I joined the SNP in 2001 in the East End of Glasgow, where I think we had about 18% of the vote. So I certainly didn't want this for a career. And as I would go through my kind of teenage years and early 20s, I did everything that I could to try and resist becoming a politician. But um, unfortunately, when God's in control as he is, um, mm. he had other plans for me. And I've, I've rather learned just to accept that now, but certainly tried to resist it a bit. 
I ought to point out as a Liberal Democrat, we dream of being on 18%. But anyway, <laughs> I, I can say that uh, from my perspective, obviously, as somebody who, who uh, got involved in politics and then became a Christian, your journey is kind of similar. So you became a member of the SNP, uh, active in the party, and then something happened to you. Um, you became a Christian in your later teens. Tell me a little bit about how that happened. Yeah, I mean, so I was, I was about 18, 19 when I became a Christian. Um, and I mean, to kind of wind back a bit from that, I, I was I was christened Catholic, um, mm. obviously at a very young age. And my mum and dad split up, got divorced when I was pretty much a baby. And it was probably fair to say that I think my, my dad was keener you know, that I would be raised Catholic. Um, so because I was being brought up by my mum, she didn't really put much effort into that. And I went to a non-denominational school. Um, and I guess growing up all, all the way throughout my kind of, you know, formative years, teenage years, I, I was always kind of conscious of there being something, a kind of higher being, but whether it was God or not, I probably wouldn't have said. Um, and, you know, I, I was a pretty, other than being kind of politically active at 11, I was otherwise a very normal teenager and get involved in the things that teenagers should or shouldn't get involved in. Um, and then it was probably when I thought it's kind of that, that kind of, 18, 19 kind of period where I just kind of had this just sudden thought to myself that this is really not how I'm meant to be living. Um, and it, it was in the run-up to, to Easter that year and I thought, right, I'll, I'll go along to my local church. And I remember kind of walking into the, the kind of church building and thinking, you know, it was the smells and bells. It was a kind of traditional church of Scotland. Um, and it probably wasn't there that I, I consciously made a decision where I would say I was saved. Um, but it, it was a friend I went to school with who she went to a, a kind of very kind of Pentecostal style church. It was basically kind of a hill song set up. So I, mean, I thought this was just bizarre. People had their hands up and, you know, the dark, the smoke machines and stuff. This was totally challenged all of my thoughts about what church was. Um, and it was there that I gave my life to Christ. Um, and I've never really looked back since. That's amazing. And now, obviously, you were very, very involved in politics at that point. Was there a change in how you looked at politics or what your role might be within the SNP after you become a Christian? Or... Was there also perhaps a, a change in the way other people looked at you? Yeah, I think it would be fair to say that there was definitely a, a change in how politics looked at me. So before I became a Christian, I had been kind of marked as being some sort of, you know, rising star in the SNP. There was a by-election in 2008. Um, and I remember this article being written in the Daily Telegraph, um, which I must confess I don't read very often. Um, <laughs> but it kind of marked me as being this kind of young rising star. And then, then I got saved. And I remember quite openly... Um, people who would have been my kind of peers and other kind of, kind of younger members of the Scottish Parliament kind of saying, oh, he's, he's, he's found God, you know, he's, he's like Ned Flanders. <laughs> and I, I remember kind of making my peace with, with it at that stage that, you know, I probably wouldn't go very far in politics. And to be honest, as I'd mentioned earlier, it wasn't something that I was particularly keen on anyway. Um, but I, I remember being kind of very conscious of the fact that, I mean, you know this yourself, being kind of a, a mainstream political party, that a lot of our colleagues go through their day-to-day -day life without any thought or, or acknowledgement of Jesus. And actually, for some of our colleagues, the idea that you would turn around and say that you that you pray, um, people might treat that with a degree of, you know, um, suspicion. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think it would probably be fair to say that as a result of becoming a Christian, I probably took a few steps back. But I was fairly comfortable with that because me taking a few steps back in my journey to kind of acknowledge the, the price that Christ paid on the cross for us yeah. is nothing in comparison to, to what he did, he did by um, bearing our sins on the cross.
You're listening to Mucky Business with me, Tim Farron. We're talking about Scottish independence, amongst other things, with SNP MP David Linden. David, it sounds to me that as you became a Christian, you began, as in your own words, to make your peace with the perhaps the possibility that you wouldn't end up rising as you were through the ranks and perhaps becoming an MP as you'd originally hoped or as people originally hoped for you. And yet you did become a member of parliament. You were part of the SNP uh, parliamentary group from 2017. The party's done extremely well in general elections from 2015 onwards. But 2017 was a bit of a blip when the party went backwards, lost quite a few seats. And you were the only new MP as part of the SNP parliamentary delegation in 2017. How did that come about? I think you, you refer to 2017 as being a blip for us. I mean, I would say it was a complete disaster. I mean, we lost 22 seats that night. Um, and, you know, the, the scale of the, the losses were, were really significant. And I remember going into the election and, you know, a lot of the seats around about me were, in fact, all the seats around me were all yellow. Um, and then it quickly became apparent during that campaign that things were really challenging for us. Um, and I was defending an SNP majority of 10 and a half, 11,000. So on paper, you know, it, it would take a, a massive swing for, for Labour to win the seat. Um, but the closer we got to polling, the, it was becoming apparent that things were not going to plan. I was fairly sanguine about that because, uh, as I say, you know, being a politician has never been the kind of be-all and end-all for me. I've got no intentions of being a politician for the rest of my life. I'm rather hoping this will be the last political job I ever do. Um, but that night, I got elected with a majority of just 75 votes. Um, so I got into the skin of my teeth. I was the only new SNP MP elected. Seats all around mine were falling to the Liberal Democrats, unfortunately, uh, to the Labour Party. Um, and it, it was a pretty disastrous night. And I remember sitting... Um, on the train down to London and just thinking to myself we lost 22 seats I've just got into the skin of my teeth I'm the only new MP perhaps this isn't a coincidence perhaps God has had some sort of hand in this and I thought what a cruel sense of humour he's got but um, yeah that's that's how I've landed up doing this Well it's great that you are doing this and I guess for many of us listening to this programme most people listening will be not from Scotland independence is a huge issue in Scotland. It's an issue for the whole of the United Kingdom. I guess it'd be really interesting for us all to hear why you think somebody, somebody who's English from, let's say, somewhere like Bristol or London, a long way from Scotland, why should they care about Scottish independence? And why should they at least acquiesce over it and perhaps even support it? Well, I mean, I think it's an acknowledgement um, that, the people who, who live in a country, the people who work in a country are best placed to make decisions about that country. Um, and I can understand that there is a, a perhaps a, a solidarity argument for somebody, in, whether it's Bristol, Cumbria, Cardiff, um, would see the, kind of the United Kingdom as being a great, successful project. But I, I would ask people to think about it from the, the point of view of somebody who lives in Scotland. So, you know, I, I often kind of think about this through the prism of somebody who's a Christian. Um, and it's about, you know, how, how can you be a good neighbour um, and, and how can you have a compassionate society? And increasingly for me, I, I've kind of concluded, obviously from a young age, but the older I've got and the more involved in politics I've got, the only way that, that Scotland, in my view, can be both a good neighbour and a, a compassionate country is to become independent because, you know, there are a succession of, of policies where Scotland, I don't just mean Scottish politicians, I mean civic Scotland has a very different and, and radically different view from other parts of the UK, 
So let's take them in turn. I mean, firstly, nuclear weapons. Now, my only brush with the law at any point in my life was uh, protesting at Vaseline uh, Naval Base. Um, stationed less than an hour from my house, we have these huge weapons of mass destruction, um, which everybody in Scotland, whether it's the churches, the trade unions, public opinion in Scotland, all members of the Scottish Parliament, barring the Conservatives, think that these are morally reprehensible um, and that they are an investment that, that frankly, that the country ought not to be investing in. So, you know, nuclear weapons don't, well, I would defend the Defender Food Banks. So that's one example. Immigration policy as well. I mean, immigration has never been Scotland's problem. Immigration has been our problem. Mm-hmm. Yet we continue to be tied to UK government policies and immigration, which I would argue are not welcome and are hostile to asylum seekers and refugees. In addition to that, we, we have a, a welfare system. 85% spending is controlled by Westminster. I think most people in Scotland have, have largely a lot more sympathetic views to what the, the basis of social security is. So there are a whole number of policies where we would like to do things differently and arguably with more compassion. A fourth policy would be international development. You know, international development spending isn't even something that comes within the remit of the Scottish Parliament. We've already set up an international development department and minister. Whereas you contrast that, you see the UK government reneging on its commitment to spend 0.7% of GNI on international aid. So in so many of these issues that I would argue are fundamentally about kind of compassionate Christian values, we find ourselves being taken in a direction that we don't want to win. So I would argue that even for Christians who live in Scotland, independence is a good way of having a compassionate society. And also, I think, being a good neighbour as well and hopefully encouraging other people in the UK to, to follow those policies. But the last thing I would say on it is that it also comes down to a democratic deficit. I mean, Scotland as a country has not voted majority Conservative since the 1950s. Yet we continue to get conservative governments we've not voted for. So it comes back to that fundamental belief that people who live and work in the country should make decisions about that country. And that's why I believe ultimately that Scotland should and I believe will be an independent nation. Thanks, David. So I mean, I think I mean a good case uh, well put there. I suppose I asked you to make the pitch to somebody who maybe didn't care so much in England. Briefly, <laughs> make the case to someone who does, because I guess for those of us, people like me, for whom we are nearer physically and probably in many of the ways you have just surmised uh, culturally closer to Scotland than we perhaps feel to the southeast of England. Um, those of us who feel a little bit heartbroken that the UK has left the European Union, uh, t- tell us why we shouldn't be overly heartbroken that we might then lose you too. Um, I, mean, I think that's a good question, ultimately. <laughs> I guess the element of this is that you know people are going to be upset by it, um, in the exact same way people were upset by Brexit. Um, but I think some of it's about understanding why it is that we're advocating this, this particular case. And yeah, I think that one people have to learn to disagree well. Um, and I can understand why somebody who lives in Cumbria, Lancashire, Yorkshire might feel that they're being cast adrift. Um, but I mean, fundamentally, this is about nationhood as well and Scotlandization. Um, I think people just need to kind of respect that eventually it comes to a point where people say, we've tried um, and it's failed and so, so we've got to move on. Um, I don't know if that, that's a harsh answer, um, but I think it's probably an honest answer and sometimes a bit of honesty in these things is, is probably helpful. Yeah, and I think there's, it's important also for us, as you rightly say, to understand how we disagree well. And, you know, if you and I were having a discussion about, you know, what the income tax rate should be um, by 1% or 2% here or, or there, then, you know, the blood's not going to boil too much. But when it is about 
one sense of nationhood, uh, sovereignty, independence, a sense of who we are as individuals and as a people, the opportunity for people to get really very, very cross about it, as we saw over Brexit, is very, very high. And therefore, the opportunity for us to display grace and to uh, be like you and I are on the other side of uh, a, a key argument like this and still be friends, that's a good witness, isn't it, to people out there who uh, hopefully are looking for signs as to why Christians might be different. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And I think this is one of the things that politicians do very badly is, is disagreeing well. I think that even in the church, there, there's, there's probably more that we can and should do on that. But I, I do make quite a, a deliberate effort. I, I don't get it right, I must confess, all the time in the House of Commons. Um, but I, I can't recall any instance in the last three or four years that I think I've quarrelled with you. But I, I think that there is a, a real example and probably a witness, as you say, for those of us who are Christians, whether it's interacting with other Christians or more crucially, people who are not from a Christian background, that you know we should be able to disagree well. And ultimately, and I, I would accept this, that you know whether Scotland becomes independent or not, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, and I have just as much in common with somebody in Cumbria as I have with you know, Colombia in that sense. Um, so, yeah, it's about kind of loving your neighbour and, and disagreeing well. There's no doubt about that. David, you are a remarkable witness, and, and your story is one which is hugely encouraging and impressive. Uh, I, for one, am massively glad that you're in the House of Commons and wish you well in almost everything. <laughs> um, so God bless you, brother. Keep up the running and we'll see you soon. I God bless you too. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. This is your chance to ask me anything about being a Christian in politics. It could be ethical, political or personal. Well, this week we have a question from Paul from Birmingham. How do you manage to negotiate between your faith and the seemingly dishonesty that exists within the field of politics? That's a great question, Paul. I think that, first of all, human beings being sinners and human beings being in politics means that, of course, you're going to find dishonesty and pretty much every other category of failure that you could imagine in the world of politics as you would in any other sphere of life. I think politics does, however, uh, lead to uh, compromise and sometimes dishonesty in ways that uh, we should be especially concerned about. First of all, this is a, a life that's lived in the public eye uh, under the pressure of a media spotlight and the pressure, therefore, to conform to a particular image and to, of course, try to get elected. And being elected means being popular and being popular means saying things and doing things that are popular. And sometimes politicians will say things that they want to happen and then get into power and realise that they can't. Uh, I will call that a different kind of dishonesty, a slightly more innocent form of dishonesty. That's over-promising rather than deliberately lying. The concern I've got even more than that, not that that's acceptable, is that we're in a time of fake news where people seem to be very happy to say things that are just objectively untrue and peddle them as untrue, knowing that their branch of the media will just amplify what they say and people will support them. And indeed, people on the other side wouldn't have agreed with them whether they told the truth or not told the truth in the first place. I think that's probably the most dangerous aspect of the culture war we find ourselves in today. And so as Christians, um, we've just to act differently, haven't we? We've got to be very careful um, and we've got to be gracious and we've got to be committed to the truth, to treasure it. And we've also got to be honest 
when we fail ourselves, uh, recognizing that um, we are also sinners and are guilty often of um, being somewhat looser with the truth than we should be. But I would just say that politics is another sphere of human existence and every part of human existence is you know riddled with sin and compromise i don't think people who are christians should avoid politics in particular given that we don't avoid the rest of the world either if you have a question for tim email farron at premier.org.uk well as we come to the end of the show let's pray together our loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for David Linden and for his service to his community in Glasgow East and for his passion in his politics and his faith and love for you. Uh, we just pray you'd strengthen him, bless and keep his family and help him to uh, always acknowledge you in all his ways. Uh, Lord, we pray for Rishi Sunak, the chance of the Exchequer. We ask for wisdom for him in implementing his budget and for compassion, especially for the millions of those in this country who are going through very hard, difficult financial times. We think also of the millions, hundreds of millions of people around the world who are our fellow Christians, many of whom face far worse restrictions all the time and who face poor persecution, the loss of life and liberty uh, for following Jesus Christ. Um, we ask that you would strengthen them. We ask you that you would protect them and come to their aid. We pray you'd help them to persevere in their faith in you. We pray that they would be encouraged and they would continue to be a bold witness to your risen uh, son, Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, look, next week we will be meeting with and talking to Fiona Bruce. She is a Conservative MP, but she is also the new special envoy for the Prime Minister on freedom of religion. She is passionate about uh, protecting persecuted religious minorities, Christians and others around the world. And we're really looking forward to spending time with her on the next show. If you'd like to ask a question about persecuted Christians around the world, why not email Farron? at premier.org.uk. I'm Tim Farron. Thank you so much for listening. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron.